Resurrection Assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The 3rd of July, 2022. The Blessing of Jacob. Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 45. There we go. We are on a third sermon series uh, on the man named Jacob. And we are doing this series, if you've missed it, by the way, you can listen uh, to the podcast to catch up. But we are doing this series for uh, at least two reasons. There's other reasons that might pop up here and there. But first, the first reason we're doing this series is because we need to learn our story. Um, when, you learn our, when we learn our story, we know who we are and who we're supposed to be. And Jacob's story is our story because Abraham is all of our father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, I explained this a couple of weeks ago about how Abraham is our father, so please go uh, listen to that sermon like I, like I said and keep that in mind. The second reason we're doing this series is because if we want to be capable uh, and if we want to be Christian readers of the Old Testament, we need to learn how to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're going to see Jesus in the life of Jacob, as we have over the last couple of weeks. We started by looking at Jacob the cheater two weeks ago. Uh, last week, we looked at Jacob's meal, the bowl of stew that he served to his brother Esau. Uh, we, last week, we saw Jacob, uh, you know, he made his brother swear to him that in exchange for this bowl of stew to feed his hangry belly, because, you know, angry and hungry makes hangry, as I explained to you, Esau uh, in exchange for that bowl of stew, Esau would forfeit his birthright. That story is very much the necessary backdrop for the story that we're about to read because it is the working out of what this means in like concrete terms. So I'm going to read the story, and I'm going to give you a little bit of heads up that it's a little bit long, but it's really important that we read all of it. I mean, we read the Bible a lot here at Resurrection Assembly because the Bible is an important book. Um, we're going to read all of it, but there's two things I want to say up front. The first thing is that no one comes out of this story looking good. This family that Jacob was born into was a highly dysfunctional family. And the dysfunction is both lamentable and, well, I think it's kind of hilarious. Um, and that's the second thing. This story that we're about to read is the stuff of comedy. I think that uh, if we read the story rightly, we will both laugh and we will groan. It's painfully hilarious and hilariously painful. Okay, so let's read it. Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 45. Uh, I, I made the graphics too small again this week. I, I did this two weeks ago. Last week I did a good job, and now somehow they're like really tiny again, so... I'm going to have to figure this out. Maybe by the time Pastor Abby gets back, I will have figured it out. Anyways, that says page 20 in your uh, pew Bibles. And you can turn to page 20 and read along with me. Okay. When Isaac was old, this is verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food. 
such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me a delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring to me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared the delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you were really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of, his, of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He, prepared, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it and felt and ate it all before you came and have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, it is, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. 
He took away my birthright, and now beholds, he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given him to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you, not, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. But your, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother, brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Quite the story, huh? That was a marathon of a read, too. Right there at the end... Right there at the end, we get Esau's frustration and exasperation. He cried out, just like Moses is crying out. He claims that Jacob has cheated him twice. Can we close those doors, John? He, uh, he claims that Jacob had cheated him twice, which really exposes not only Jacob's cheating, like we talked about two weeks ago, but it also continues to demonstrate Esau's foolishness. Esau thought he could get away with, you know, this foolish oath. He had sworn away his birthright. He swore that Jacob could have it, but he still thought he could get the blessing of the birthright from his father. Why did he think he could get out of his promise? And this should, I think, be a warning to all of us who think we can also escape our promises. Don't try to get out of your promises, church. Kids, don't try to get out of your promises. There are a number of things that we have promised here as a church. Most recently, we promised to, with God's help, help and encourage and build up Katie and TJ in their marriage. Remember, we did that, right, Donna? We can't get out of that promise, church. We're all supposed to live up to it. At least that goes for those of us who are at the wedding. Don't, also, don't try to get out of your marriage promises. You made those before God and before the church. Don't try to get out of your baptism promises. Don't try to get out of your promises at all, any of them, and don't make promises you think you might want to get out of in the first place. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Am I right? Anyway, let's get back to the story. And after we get through the story, we'll talk about Jesus in the passage, and then we'll conclude with some recommendations for ourselves. So Isaac is about to die which is why the Bible says his eyes have been dimmed. They didn't have cataract surgery back in the day. So Isaac was losing his sight. And he knows he's going to die soon. So he tells Esau, the firstborn son, that he wants to bless him. He tells him to go hunting and prepare a meal. This is the first moment, by the way, that we know something is up. 
what happened the last time Esau went out to hunt? And went out, what happened the last time there was a meal prepared after Esau's hunt? What happened? Esau made a fool of himself. That's what happened. And we, as the audience here reading the story, were groaning because we know what's coming. This is called foreshadowing. It's called dramatic irony. And maybe we're laughing a little bit because, like I said, this is the stuff of irony. And we're uncomfortable because we know that if we were Esau, well, we wouldn't see it coming either. You know, it's like when you're watching a movie and you can see what's coming and the character can't and you're uncomfortable. Then we get what I think is another funny happenstance. It just so happens that Rebecca is eavesdropping on the whole conversation. Like, where was she? Was she, like, hiding behind a a clay pot, behind a tree, on the other side of the wall, just listening to what was going on? Like, what are the chances that Rebecca just happened to be there to overhear what Isaac says to Esau? So the joke is already both on Isaac and Esau because neither of them know what is coming. And we can see it all unfolding while they're going to be made to look, well, more than a little foolish. Rebecca, we are left to gather, is not happy that Esau is going to get this blessing. This is what I mean when I say this is a dysfunctional family. What's going on that you're going behind your husband's back and deceiving him? Don't, don't do that to your spouse if you're married, okay? Why in the world wasn't Isaac thinking about what God had told his wife? Remember, that God had told Rebekah that Jacob would get the blessing, not Esau. Why the need for deception when Esau has already sworn that his birthright was Jacob's? Couldn't they have all just had a family meeting together and, you know, like prayed about it? Well, that's not what happens. Rebecca comes up with a plan to play her husband for the fool. She tells Jacob to go get a couple of goats. She will make a meal that will mimic Esau's game stew. It's delicious. So we're told. And she says she's going to take some of Esau's clothes and put them on Jacob. This is a hilarious scheme because, well, I mean, I think it's just kind of goofy. His brother's clothes in a bowl of fake game stew. I mean, I can tell the difference between venison and goat. How's this going to work? And then Jacob says what we're all thinking. He says, Mom, Esau's like really hairy, and I am not. My voice hasn't even changed yet. And he says, Esau's got like a big burly beard. He gets scared that his father's you know, going to get like angry with him at the lame attempt at deception, and that he might end up getting a curse rather than a blessing. Well, Rebecca insists, and she says that if he gets cursed, she'll be the substitutionary atonement for him. She'll take the blame. She'll take any curse on Jacob and put it upon herself. So Jacob gets the goats. And then Rebecca evidently comes up with another idea. She'll take the goat skins with the hair still on it, and she'll tie them to Jacob's body so that he seems hairy like Esau. I think this is hilarious. I mean, like, can you imagine seeing Jacob at this point strapped with, like, goat skins 
He's got them on his arms. He's like tied one around his neck. He's got like a fur boa going on. And he's carrying this bowl of soup to his dad. And he's like, hey, dad. I mean, hey, dad. It's your oldest son, Esau. I have goat, I mean, deer stew here for you. Just like you like it. And if that wasn't funny enough, it actually works. (laughs) But it doesn't work like in a straightforward way. It's like this whole comedic scene unfolds. Isaac knows that, or like he gets this sense that like something is up. He might be blind, but he isn't deaf. His ears still work. And he thinks, isn't that Jacob's voice? It says he also kind of, he's also kind of taken aback at how quickly Esau has come back from the hunt and cooked what he'd evidently shot in a very short period of time. So he invites Jacob closer, and he feels him. He feels the goat skin on his arms, maybe around his neck, and he's like, well, I mean, it's Jacob's voice, but it's Esau's hands. It's got to be Esau. The logic is suspicious and hilarious. I mean, how many, maybe I shouldn't ask it that way, but how many of you ever pet a goat? There's a few of us, right? How in the world are you going to mistake goat hair for human hair? I mean, I guess there's a scenario, but it's unlikely to me. So Jacob's blind, and again, this is the only way that it works. It was a long shot, but it seems like he's a little blind, not just in his eyes, but in his brain, too. I mean, it says that he smells the clothes, he feels the goat hair, and somehow this trumps the sound of Jacob's voice. It's funny because, you know, how many of us would make that mistake? I don't know, but, you know, absurd mistakes like that make us laugh. But the bottom line is, despite all the humor, is that God, God's word proves true even in the chaos and the comedy and the dysfunction of this family. God said that Jacob would trip up his brother, and that's exactly what happens. Isaac blesses Jacob with a patriarchal blessing. He says, let those who bless you be blessed, and let those who curse you be cursed. The final comedic moment comes when when Esau just happens to return with a bowl of game soup just as Jacob is sneaking off, right? It's it's hilarious timing. They just barely miss each other. What are the chances? So Esau shows up before his father and he says he wants a blessing too, but he can only get the leftovers, the leftover blessings. And uh, he's upset. Like, really, really upset. I mentioned at the beginning, he says that Jacob cheated him twice, and now he's like, that's it. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. And I don't think it's like a rhetorical thing. I think he means it. So anyways, Esau ends up getting this leftover blessing, and that's a significant blessing too, but I'm going to come back to that in a second. So before we get to what this means for us, I want us to see Jesus in this passage. Uh, This is Jesus proximate, but let me begin with Rebecca. And in doing so, 
I want to give a shout out to her and to all the women in the Bible who messed with the patriarchs. Rebecca heard and saw in her son Jacob the one who God said would supplant and rule over the older entitled brother. Rebecca heard from God and believed and acted. All the while that Isaac wasn't just literally blind, but spiritually blind. He couldn't see God's promise because he was deaf to God's prophecy. That's Jacob. Let me ask you this about Jesus. Was it not the virgin mother, Mary herself, who first recognized Jesus as a true heir when no one else did? in a manner similar to how Rebecca recognized Jacob. Did not Elizabeth, her relative, also recognize what had happened in Mary's womb? Was it not women who supported Jesus' ministry in the background, recognizing him as they eavesdropped on all the disciples' conversations, recognizing him as the only begotten son of the Father when all the male patriarchs of Israel in Jesus' day were doubtful and at times even vindictive? Was it not a Syrophoenician woman, even a Gentile woman, who believed Jesus and his healing power when the Israelite men doubted him? Was it not women who first saw the empty tomb? And were they not the first apostles telling the patriarchs of the church, of the resurrection, before any of them had believed? So, like I said, shout out to all the women who have necessarily told the patriarchs of the faith how the faith really is. In Rebecca, we can see the spiritual insights we all need to have and can only have by Jesus Christ and in his spirits. Let me continue. I have already said it, but let me say it again. Jacob in this story is no moral example. Example, he is a deceitful liar and a cheat. But even in his sinfulness, we can see the person of Christ, even though Christ himself was sinless. So hear me out. Jesus, like Jacob, came onto the scene disguised. No one looking on his human flesh would have said that this person is the only begotten son of the Father. No one would have said, this person standing before me is God from God and light from light. No one would have said that just looking at him with human eyes. I mean, he was poor. His feet were always like dirty, walking the dusty roads in his sandals. He had a foot washing ceremony because they all had to wash their feet all the time because it was dirty out. He didn't own a bed. And his poor, unimpressive appearance really deceived many just as Jacob's appearance deceived Isaac. The crowds, the religious leaders, they touched Jesus, they smelled him, they heard him, and even though the words of his mouth showed him to be the son of God, they insisted that he was but a foolish man. When in fact they were the fools in the end, like Isaac. Jesus came unto his own, and his own didn't recognize him. We read that in John chapter 1 this morning. But his own still end up with the blessing. Excuse me, still end up blessing him. Just as, follow me here, just as Jacob's disguise 
and Isaac's deception was necessary for God's blessing to come upon Jacob, so also Jesus' disguise and Israel's deception was necessary for God's blessing to come upon Jesus. Without Israel's blindness, Israel would not have crucified their Lord. And without the crucifixion, there would have been no resurrection. And so Israel's true blessing comes from their own insistent self-deception. This is why we can all be deceived ourselves and God still accomplishes his will. Jesus, the King of Israel, becomes King of Kings in his death and resurrection and so fulfills the promises of God to Israel even in their failure to recognize him. And that is why we can see Jesus in Jacob and in Jacob's blessing. Through an unintended impartation, Jesus is now the one in whom everyone is blessed should they bless him. And he is the one in whom everyone is cursed if they curse him. So bless Jesus today, church. Bless Jesus. Today, Jesus no longer disguises himself. He presents himself unadorned, undisguised, as he was in his transfiguration. He is the risen Lord. He heals our blind eyes. He opens our deaf ears so we can recognize him and bless him. One more thing about Jesus. Isaac's leftover blessing, remember I said this is significant too. Isaac's leftover blessing for Esau is also a witness to Jesus Christ because in Esau, we see all the Gentiles who were excluded from the people of God, right? Jacob is the one in whom Israel is elected. Esau goes off and he becomes the Gentile people. And yet even here, Isaac prophesies that Esau will one day break Jacob's yoke from his neck. And this is achieved in Christ's death and resurrection. Through Jesus, Gentiles can now be God's people without having to become Jewish. No more circumcision. The yoke is broken in baptism. Jacob's blessing is Esau's blessing in the end. Brothers in the same family, twins from the same room, womb, two nations, Jew and Gentile, made to be God's people. Glory to God. You didn't know all that was there, did you? It is. So let me close with what this means for us, all right? Let me begin by saying, I already said it, but let me say it again. Bless Jesus. Bless him, church. Kids, bless Jesus. Bless him in the morning when you wake up and you're bleary-eyed. Bless him in the evening when you're about to fall asleep and you're bleary-eyed. Bless him at the lunchtime, even if your school makes you eat lunch at 10.30 in the morning, which makes no sense to me to this day. I had to do that at one school I went to. It just I prayed over my meal, though, and I blessed Jesus. That's the point. Bless him, adults, at the 2 o'clock slump. You know what I'm talking about when you need that cup of coffee in the afternoon? Need it. You want it. Right? Bless him in the winter. And in the summer, bless him when you have a lot and bless him when you only have a little. Keep blessing him and bless him insistently because only if we bless him will we be blessed. Be like Rebecca and be like all the women who told the patriarchs how it was 
recognize and bless Jesus, even when Jesus seems like blessing Jesus seems like you're blessing the weakness and the foolishness of the world. Jesus has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. We read that in 1 Corinthians. And Jesus has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If we bless Jesus like we're supposed to, if we do this, there is a warning that I need to share with you. I want to warn you about something that might happen if you start doing this. And no doubt, many of us already are. So watch out for these unintended consequences. Because if you start blessing Jesus, you might end up like Isaac. And you might end up blessing people you didn't think you would ever bless. Isaac never thought he would give Jacob this blessing that he gave him. But in blessing Jacob, he ended up blessing a cheater. He ended up blessing a liar. And we could find ourselves doing the same thing. See, Jesus will trap you like that. Because he says we're supposed to bless those who curse us. We're supposed to bless even people we might consider our enemies. Let me give you a quick example, and I'm going to close with this. Last week, I saw a pastor post on Facebook about soccer. I know this pastor. He, he, I, he is not, as far as I can tell, a soccer fan. Excuse me, football. Can we all agree that this is the true football? Thanks. I know that's anathema in uh, <clears throat> the home of the Hawkeyes, but... Uh, you know, the world witnesses. Uh, it just so happened that this pastor I know um, in his Facebook post was about a former player of the football club that I really enjoy watching called Liverpool Football Club. And Charles says, amen. <laughs> Charles is a Liverpool fan with me. But this pastor posted an, ex an excerpt someone had written about this player named Sadio Mane. Mane, he makes a lot of money. He's a superstar, Okay millions of dollars a year, and someone snapped a picture of him before a game, and he was using an old iPhone with a cracked screen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember this picture? Yeah. And someone asked him about it, and he said, they said, here you are making millions of dollars, and you have a cracked phone. And Mane, Sadio Mane supposedly said this. He said, I know poverty. I starved in Senegal. I've played football with bare feet. What do I need with luxury? I build hospitals, I build schools, I build homes, I help families with the local economy. That way I can give away what life has by chance given to me. And this pastor who posted this added the comment underneath. He prayed publicly on Facebook. He said, Jesus, help me to love people like Sadio Mane loves people. And in doing so, this pastor, I know, he, that was a blessing on Sadio Mane, Right? And you know what? Sadio Mane is a Muslim. And I'm not sure if this pastor knew this or not. I suspect that he didn't. But it doesn't matter. Because Mane, in this instance, disguised himself as an agent of Christ's generosity. And we can bless those who might not be Christians, but sometimes put on the clothes and tie disguises on their arms and necks and look like them. So let that be a warning to you, an exhortation to all of us to be prepared to bless those who we, are, who we think are so different from us that we can have nothing in common. You know, Christians don't agree with Muslims about matters of first importance. 
You know, Muslims don't believe, like we do, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Nevertheless, we can find ourselves blessing them sometimes. And so we find ourselves in Isaac's boots. And you know, when I wrote that, I thought this might be a shocking thing to say, to some people at least, but I don't think it should shock us. Because Christ died for us, didn't he? And so he blessed each and every single one of us while we were still sinners. So today, I once again invite you to bless Christ. And I invite you to ask Jesus who you should bless. Let Jesus surprise you today about that very thing. You might even laugh at yourself at the comedy of who you have blessed in the end. But Jesus will play you like that. We're about to come to this table. This is where Jesus reveals himself to us. Holly, you can come on back up. So I urge you to expect Jesus to reveal himself in this meal.